go. Three, two, one. Alright, so what do we got? Sunday, February 23rd, 2014, 10.45 a.m. EST. Um, that little, uh, that fainted music in the background is uh, some stuff from freemusicarchive.org, uh, Still Pluto, uh, Bitter Pill featuring Bossmoy. You know, I don't know, enjoy. Um, anyway, so here's another episode. Um, by by me, Roberto. You can uh, contact me, B-E-T-O, at haven'tfoundme.com or, have, or you can reach me on Twitter or Identica at haven'tfoundme. Um, I'm on Google Plus as well. You can track me down there. Um, anyway, I just want to say hello and uh, hope everyone's having a good Sunday. We're just going to go over a couple things um, that I've kind of that I've kind of noticed um, in the past week that I felt that okay is some pretty good stuff. Um, I'm not sure what I'm going to be doing with my podcast recordings, but I did see on the Hacker Public Radio site that there were topics uh, that they wanted some individuals to, or they you know topics that you can uh, contribute information or content on. One of the top few, few of the topics that interest me. And that I definitely may be um, providing some content for is, is are for let's see I, I see one here for an introduction of Wireshark. Um, what I would actually like to do is just do an introduction to TCP dump um, because if you can work with TCP dump, then once you dive into Wireshark, you'll understand you'll understand why Wireshark exists and and you know where where it came from. So. Yeah, TCP dump and ellipse cap uh, libraries. Yeah, I think those two pieces right there are going to be just absolutely amazing uh, if if you can just wrap your mind around those tools. Once you get into Wireshark, then it's like it's like oh, it's like wonderful. It's like a, it's it's just wonderful. Um, anyway, so another one that I noticed was uh, installing a VPN to your own to your home network. Um, the episodes for the LPI or the networking series. So I wonder if the, the LPI is just LPIC1, LPIC2, LPIC3. Um, uh, it, it's a, there's a lot of information there, especially in like the LPIC1, LPIC2 series, um, because there's just so much and there's just so much that you can experiment with. Um, networking series, I wonder if they're kind of like, you know, like a CCNA type of series, like, or just, you know, OSI or TCP IP layer breakdown information, uh, a, a breakdown of the TCP IP OSI layer information. I don't know if that's kind of what people are um, interested in, but I I, uh, I am interested in creating some episodes based off of those. Um, another one that I think was very interesting, well, two more that I, two or three more that I feel that were really interesting was how to fix a car. Um, I think it's really important. It kind of sucks nowadays because you have a lot of you, you have a lot of um, a lot of cars rely a lot a lot on the um, computer codes um, or the error codes or reporting codes you get from the cars. So I don't really know how to work with cars in that fashion because I don't have the uh, I don't have that uh, module that you can connect into cars and then um, you can connect it to your Linux laptop and then 
uh, and then you can actually read the codes from the car using uh, using um, some command line tools. I've seen that on I've seen that on the um, on YouTube, and I thought that was pretty cool because then if you wanted to, if you were like into an if you were into like dynoing your own car and you and you could understand the output um from your car you could you know you can optimize your car or whatever but i think like how to fix your car like you know how to, how to change a flat tire or you know some common tools to have in your car also just you know changing the oil or uh um when like basic stuff like windshield wipers um uh, checking for checking your 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 fluids, you know, adding some fluids. Um, you know, what's the what's the the right and wrong things to do? What's the what are the resources to go to? Usually, the car manual is like the best thing to read. Um, that thick ass manual that that's in your car that they give you, uh, it's usually the best thing to read. It gives you a lot of good pointers and it helps you you know identify all the parts on the car or all the places on the car. Um, but yeah, I mean. Like how to fix a car in essence of like how to repair a transmission, how to repair an engine, you know, doing things like that. Yeah, that's tough. I don't know how that's going to be done on audio. That's going to be really tough. Um, but uh, there's a how to set, how to set up a GPG and open PGP. Um, I mean, I can set up my own keys, but if this is talking about like setting up a, like a server, then okay, you know, I can kind of understand and see where that's going but um but the what i do with my raspberry pi um yeah that that that's really interesting uh there's so many things you can do with a raspberry pi it's just it's pretty ridiculous um yeah so th those are some of the ones that that are that interest me a lot and uh and i think you know as time goes on i, I hope to make a couple episodes based off of them um definitely on the wireshark and and Definitely on Wireshark, VPN, and the Raspberry Pi because those are three things that I've I've dived into heavily in, in the past couple months. Um, some of the other ones that pop up are the Grub 2.0 introduction and customization. I like Grub; it works. You know, there's li there's Lilo or Lilo, however you want to call it, but I don't know if Lilo does Lilo boot into uh, um, other than Linux OSs. I, I don't know, and I don't know anymore all i know is grub all i know is that grub can boot into other os's and that's that um and then um i i like the one that says how to build a house uh that's really interesting um i know someone who they they're really good they're really excellent handyman and you know i wonder like just if i can talk to this individual and say hey you know Hey, can you know we we record like how-to videos or something on like how to repair a busted pipe, or how to repair, or how do you you know what are some of the household things you need, you know to to ha kind of have like a to to be energy efficient or something like that. Like I don't know, it's just that one's really interesting because you know, in in nowadays we kind of do spend a lot of time. Once we do, I, I don't have I don't live in a home. I don't have a home, but you know. I'm pretty sure that there's a lot of work and a lot of self-education that goes along with having a home and building a house is cool. That That's awesome. Like, you know, right. You got, you build a foundation, um, you know, you build a framework and then you just, you know, slap everything on. Like, that's just, you know, that's just amazing. But then just maintaining a household. Now that's really interesting because it's like, there's just so many things you can do. 
to maintain a household. I mean, it's just, just, you know, like, there's just so many things you can do. Like, if you have, like, a gas boiler. I'm, I'm not a gas boiler, but uh, is it a boiler or... Um, Anyway, um, a water, a hot water tank. You know, you got a gas. You know, if if you use gas to 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 heat up your 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 hot water, you know that's you know sometimes that thing that goes out. You know, sometimes you know you're not home to you know to turn that on, and you know you've got to explain to your wife like, okay, you know you've got to turn the knob here, hold it down, hit the igniter, and then the igniter is gonna start the is gonna start the um is gonna start a, a flame. Um, and then you got to turn it to the on position and put the cover back on and then, you know, wait like 20 minutes for the water to heat up and then you can, then you've got hot water, you know, or you've got like the electrical, um, the, the electrical hot, hot water tanks or, um, or heating hot water tanks, whatever the water heaters, there you go. Electrical water heaters, you know, they just, you know, they use electricity to, to heat up the, to heat up the water, but then like now your electric bill goes up, you know, so how do you. You know, how do you combat against that? Like before, you know, it's like, oh, now I got another bill because I got to pay for gas and I got to pay for electricity and I got to pay for water. You know, you okay, I got rid of the gas bill because, you know, I've got an electric stove and an electric water heater. But now, you know, you know, now your, your electric bill is going to go up a little bit. So it's just interesting. It's just kind of interesting stuff. And even like even like with central air, like, some, you know, some people, you know, I understand a lot of people um, don't really have the, the fort are not fortunate enough to experience central air, um, in their household. Uh, a lot of people have to have like AC units or they're, or they've got, uh, the electrical heaters or they've got boilers, um, you know, like the, the heating pipes that, that flow around your home. You know, some people are in that scenario, but sometimes, you know, in newer homes, you've got central air. So in the winter, you've got, you've got a uh, you've got hot air coming out from the vents and in the summer you've got cold air coming out from the vents um and then depending on your household or the size of your household you know if you're like at if you're like the furthest room if you're in the furthest room away from where that air is being pushed out from you know you're going to get like a little bit of air you know you're going to get like the you know think of it as think of it as uh you know everyone that's closest to the to to where the air is being pushed out from is going to get, you know, the nice cool air. But if you're in that one room that faces like that weird, you know, east, it, it faces east and it, it can, it, the sun hits it like from the morning to night. And it's just, you know, you're, you're trying to stay cool, but you're in the room and, and then, and then the sun is just heating up the room from morning to night and you can't escape the rays of the sun all day until it's nighttime and you're the room that's furthest away from where the, the, the air is being distributed from, you know, you're going to be sweating in that room because it's just going to be too hot. And if you didn't close the vents to like some of the other rooms that aren't being used or to like the bathroom or something like that, you know, like basically to force the air to push itself towards your room, you know, it's going to suck. So, you know, it's just how to build a house is just interesting. But then like, how to maintain a household, you know, like what are some of the nuances that you experience in your household and, and, and what have you done to, you know, to solve those? I think that's a really cool topic. But anyway, um, yeah, a lot of the other ones are, are interesting. I don't know how they're going to be done without video, but how to solder, how to weld, um, that those are, those are going to be pretty interesting. The, um, FM transmitter hack to listen into internet streams. 
that sounds pretty cool. Uh, that I, uh, yeah, that sounds pretty cool. Anybody who can do that is, uh, yeah, you're, you're, you're a ninja. Uh, init and system D that one's pretty cool. Uh, if you've, if you in the past built your own init scripts, um, I, I think you should definitely contribute to that topic because just building init scripts is like, it's, it, it's awesome. But then now we're going to system D. So it's, you know, you better start learning those, uh, those system D commands to start up services and stuff. Um, so anyway, uh, those are just a lot of the, those are some of the few requested topics. Um, and if you would like to record a show on one of these topics, please email admin at Hacker Public Radio and they will take it off the list. So if you go to hackerpublicradio.org slash contribute dot PHP or just go to the contribute page, um, you'll see the list there like, t- like three quarters of the way down from the, from the site. So, uh, yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, what I want to talk about today are couple things um as you probably read from the um the episode title uh it's it's going to be xface um and um, xubuntu uh it's going to be uh chromebook end of life centos uh um let's see uh bridge linux uh bedrock linux bedrock linux uh indiegogo uh some youtube channels i came across and a couple of other things here and there so um, anyway, uh, the first thing I want to talk about is Xface and Xubuntu. Um, the crude, I, I've on my last episode I talked about Xubuntu. I like Xubuntu. I support Xubuntu. I am, I do know that I'm not going to stick with Xubuntu just because um, it's just I don't know. It's just my nature. Uh, I'm probably going to end up doing something else or looking for something else. Um, it's definitely not going to be committing to Chromebook because later on, as I explained, uh, or Chrome OS. Because later on, as I explained, Chromebooks are going to reach an end of life, which like it's like a WTF moment. Like, you know, I like I bought this, you know, $200 laptop because I wanted to save money. I like the hardware and I buy stuff because they're going to last. Like, you know, I have, you know, my laptop here. I've had it for two years now. It's I buy these things because they're going to last and I want them to last. And and that's what's important to me is, you know, when, when you start looking at like Linux distributions that can support, you know, 128 megs of RAM or Pentium 3 processors, you start to ask yourself, like, okay, why is why does that even exist? But then it's like, well, there's a lot of old hardware out there. And that old hardware can be clustered and used in, in better, in, in, in efficient ways. It's just, you know, I, I just think that's, you know, I think, just think that's still a value. Um, no matter, you know, you could recycle it, get rid of it or whatever, but still, it's still valuable to someone. So end of life in Chromebooks, Within like a five year or six or seven year time frame, I mean, okay, I kind of understand that. Like, all right, that makes sense. You know, five years it should already be old and outdated. But I mean, there's some people that are running MacBooks that are like over five years old. Like, you know, they're running MacBooks right now that are over five years old and they run just fine. You know. They've got eight gigs of RAM in them things. They've got like S. They're running like you know SS. They're running 128 gig, uh, you know SATA two SSDs, and they still got Core two Duo or Core Quad, you know, uh, processors in there, and it works. It functions. It it it, it can. It, they survive. You know, the hardware can continue. Yes, Apple does end of life their hardware by you know deprecating them through their software updates, but that doesn't mean that you can't still use the laptop with Linux or even with Windows because, I mean, 
you know, you and you could still use it with the old OS, but then you have like you know security vulnerabilities because you you may not get you know updates anymore or security updates. But still, I mean, you can still bootcamp the thing and maybe use Windows if you wanted to, just to you know for shits and giggles. But I'm just saying, it's still kind of weird for me because with Chromebook, I mean, it's really it's not it's not like you're able to easily install another OS. I mean, yes, you have Crouton. Yes, you can install Xubuntu on top of Chrome OS. But it I haven't really seen, I mean, unless you're really hacking away at the Mario, at the Mario stuff. What is it? Is it Mario Bootloader? I think it's the Mario Bootloader or something like that. I don't know. But anyway, anyway, if you're really, 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 like, hacking away at the at like the the core boot stuff because the core boot stuff is like what secures the chrome the chromebook and stuff i mean it's like all right i kind of get it i understand you know the i kind of understand what's going on there but my problem with that is just uh, again i want my hardware to last you know and if i can't do anything else after this thing's end of life and if it becomes, you know, a, a, a hassle or some sort of issue or or just doesn't let me start up the machine, you know, that's going to suck. You know, that's really going to suck. So anyway, so yeah, so X-Face and X-Ubuntu, they're really good. I really enjoy them. Uh, LXDE is cool, but I just had a lot of problems with using that. And, and the reason why I'm using lightweight, um, uh, <coughs> the reason why I'm using lightweight desktop environments is because I, I really like, running a lean machine a lean machine so so like for instance you know if i'm running free you know if i run the command free sm or vm stat you know i want to see that i'm using nothing you know like right now i'm using nothing like if i have the browser open yeah i've got chrome i got firefox open and all right yeah it's using a hellacious amount of resources but you know what that's just chrome i mean that's just firefox uh chrome is the same scenario as well uh it you know Lots of resources used, but whatever. Not a big deal. I'm not, you know, too bummed about that. I, I just really enjoy having a very lean uh, desktop. And, and, and at the same time, I don't want to have to... I don't want to have to max out my RAM, like, nowadays or today or, like, in the present time in order to satisfy, you know, my, my, uh, my working... my work habits. Uh, you know, if, let's say... You know, if I had this desktop for two years, this laptop for two years, and then three years from now it starts to get really old and really slow, and then I can add another four gigs of RAM to it. Now I've got my eight gigs of RAM or sixteen gigs of RAM or whatever is the maxed out, you know, RAM capacity, and you know the fastest SSD I can put on this thing, you know, just clean it out real quick and say, all right, it's refreshed. You know, I, I install a new distro, lightweight distro environment, lightweight desktop environment. It should run perfectly fine. So that's kind of my mentality is that five years, this thing should still be running and it, it, I shouldn't, I shouldn't really have too many issues, but you know, who knows, who knows what could happen, right? But anyway, uh, so your X-Face and X-Buntu is good. Um, Crouton for Google Chromebook is awesome. And I just love, I just love the fact that I get X-Face and X-Buntu when, when I, when I use Crouton. So, um, uh, what's next? Uh, Let's see. Um, I'm not going to want. I'm not going to stick with Ubuntu much longer. Uh, I came across this site that has a. Uh, I came across this Wikipedia, uh, this Wikipedia page, and 
it, it's um it's a layout of the it's called the GNU Linux distribution timeline version 12.10. The authors look like they're Lund Lundcubist and Rodic. They're at futurist.se forward slash gldt. Um, and it's published under the GNU free documentation license. So basically it's a it's a timeline from 1992 to 2013 of all the major of all the distributions it seems like it's all the distrib all the Linux distributions, GNU Linux distributions you can you can think of, and more. It's tons and tons of stuff with their start dates and kind of like their faded out end of life slash you know what the hell's going on. Um, the reason why I said I'm, I don't think I'll be sticking with Ubuntu um, uh, from a personal like from a personal desktop perspective much longer is because uh, a, a couple things. Um, so Debian, I, I really love Debian. I've always loved Debian. It's a pain in the ass, but you know I really love Debian. Um, but I've always had an interest in Slackware, and and I, I don't know if maybe it's like you know the joke could be this is the year of the Linux desktop. This is the year of the Linux desktop, and then the next the, like the like a meta joke could be this is the year of Slackware. You know, like this is the, the this is the this is the this is the decade of Slackware. You know, I don't know. This is something to think about, but uh, but um, I think what's kind of disrupted Slackware's progression is Arch. So Arch is becoming a very, very, very popular and a very good, um, a very good distro. Um, it's it's it started from its own origin, which is okay. That's really cool. I like that. Um, and then some of you may be thinking, well, what about Red Hat? And I was like, well. The recent, not acquisition or buyout, but the recent integration of CentOS with Red Hat, kind of you know, it it puts it makes me it makes me think about some things. Um, it makes me think about some past uh, assumptions I had, you know, because Oracle Unbreakable Linux was you know it's like the very best alternative to Red Hat because it's supported by Oracle and it was cheaper and it's just Red Hat with the with the rebranded stuff from Oracle. And then the other option you had was CentOS was CentOS, which was just the stripped down community version of Red Hat. So it's like, okay, you know, that's pretty cool. And you know, the packages are maintained for the community. So you know, in my mind in the past, I thought that CentOS was the committed OS for enterprise um, solutions where if you knew Linux and you understood what you were doing and you knew how to build, you know, clusters and, and, um, storage, uh, uh, you know, sands or whatever, if you knew how, if you knew what you were doing, basically, I felt that CentOS was like the best option because it could provide that upgrade path for any organization to say, all right, we're going to spend money on really good Linux admins and have them build stuff with open source and you know free and open source uh, tools and 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 and, um, and applications. And as time goes on, if we do need support or we do find ourselves in a bind where we do need you know special packages or something of that nature, you know at least they can make that 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 next step going into Red Hat wouldn't be that bad. It, it wouldn't be that difficult, I, I felt. So, 
that's kind of what I was thinking was like Sense OS is like the first step and if you needed to make a next step into a more professional and we need to show you know from a disaster recovery and this assurance and this you know CIA and you know this infosec perspective of hey you know I need to assure our investors or or our backers that you know in the event of a disaster or in the event of a of of a vulnerability were covered you can move on to red hat get the red hat updates you know and get the get the red hat support and you're good to go or get the oracle stuff and you're good to go so now that centos and and red hat are you know it, it's centos is not fedora you know fedora core is the bleeding edge it's 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 the stuff that you know, makes you your head go around and around trying to fix sometimes. But you know, you once you understand Fedora and you work with Fedora, you're like, okay, wonderful. I can I see where Red Hat is going. I see where most of most most Linux distributions are going. This is really good. CentOS is like this is leg- this is Red Hat. Like this is Rel you know six or Rel seven. You know, CentOS six dot whatever is Red Hat six dot whatever. You know, there's, there's, it's not, there is, or is rel 6. whatever. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. So, I don't know. I kind of just thought that it was a good option. And if you had the resources, it was a good distro to commit to and to return, you know, to to put back, you know, to put back what you took out of it. But, um, you know, this whole, this whole, like, integration of CentOS with Red Hat now, it, it's a, it's interesting. It's interesting. So, so, uh, but anyway, going back to the, uh, to the timeline, this, uh, this timeline, uh, page, it's just, it's just beautiful. It, it's just, it's just beautiful. You can read through, you can read through all these OSs that you're just like, wow, like, you know, whatever happens to them, you know, like Nopix, you know, Nopix is still out there, but it's just not as big as it used to be, you know, like, like five, six, seven years ago, Nopix was like the thing to use. Like, don't mess around with anybody. Like, seven years ago, if you had a Nopic CD, you you know, someone was like, wow, this guy, this guy is going to fix everything, you know. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's just, you know, that kind of mentality. So, um, and then it's also a little, um, it's a little educate that you, you gain a little bit of education out of it as well. So, you know, for instance, uh, I didn't know this. Um, maybe I did, but I definitely did, don't think, don't think I, I knew this, but you have... Nopix came from Debian. So you have Debian. So Nopix came from Debian. And then uh, Kenotix came from Nopix. And then Auditor Security Linux came from Kenotix. And then Backtrack came from Auditor Security Linux. And then, as we know, uh, uh, well, I don't see Kali on here, but Kali Linux comes from, we know it's sourcing, it's, we know underlyingly it's Debian, so it's it's kind of interesting. It's kind of interesting, you know. Um, and uh, so anyway, so um, and uh, damn vulnerable Linux. I, that hey, if if you are uh, if you are looking into you know focusing more on security or trying to you know you're you're interested in doing some sort of hacking and stuff, damn vulnerable Linux. If you can revive that that distro. That was a that was a good distro. It was damn vulnerable. I could tell you that right now. Uh, so anyway, so it's a good. This is a very good page. Um, of course, this will be on the show notes. But if, again, if you want to go to it, it's uh, it's uh, futurist 
se forward slash gldt and again it's called the GNU Linux distribution timeline version 12.10 all right so up next I've got um, uh, I've already talked to, I already expressed my uh, my stuff about CentOS but but I have here like CentOS WTF um, uh, so server side what's next that's my question like server side what's next what's the next major distro we're gonna commit to for server side stuff you know are we gonna start rebuilding are we gonna is everybody gonna start from you know you know is everyone gonna start from um, what is that what is the, uh, the Linux from scratch just build their own distro and then you know make their own server uh, make their own server software and and that's it or their server OS and and then that's it use any packages they want or whatever I don't know I that that's kind of you know that's kind of my question about CentOS and and Red Hat like what's going on there and you know Fedora is not you, you you should not use Fedora as like a production server unless you're really good at you know what you do I mean you maybe you can you know no big deal if it's not like if it's not you know high availability or anything like that like if it's if its priority is not like you know high you know, maybe medium, medium to low, maybe you should be okay, just because, you know, from a disaster recovery perspective, you're going to be like, oh, crap, you know, I can't be using Fedora as, you know, my production environment, that's, that's a little too, that's, that's a, that's a little too, uh, that's, that's, that's a big, that's a big chance you're taking, especially if you're short-staffed, or, or if the learning curve is really high for, for some of your sysadmins, or anything like that, um, but anyway, um, so anyway, so uh, so building your own distro from the ground up, it is a lot of work. Um, I've been looking at two distros that have that I feel that are um, that are kind of interesting. Um, the first thing I want to do, I, I do want to say, is that uh, Marcus Ranum, he's a I think he's a chief security officer at Tenable Networks. No, I'm sorry, not Tenable. Um, Nessus. Uh, is it? Yeah, Tenable makes Nessus, right? So. Marcus Ranum, um, he had a he had a really good talk um, in the in the past about uh, his I, I would say like the the his his uh, his naming of Bastion host like he he cre- he coined the term Bastion host uh, and you know if you're not if you're not familiar with what a Bastion host is just think of it as uh, a dedicated OS to just do one thing and one thing only. Um, you know, you built a Linux OS to do one thing and one thing only. So like a firewall, you know, if you build a firewall, it's a bastion host. You know, like just build one OS or server to just do that one thing. You strip every other package out of it. Just take every single package out of there that you don't need. You know, just, you don't need, I don't know, like, it, just... Just think of it like that. You just, you know, I, I don't want to say you, you could take the ARP firewall tables out because maybe you still want to use ARP fire ARP tables or ARP firewall tables. But uh, but just think of it as you just build a dedicated firewall and that's all that it does. It does not do anything. It's not a web server. It, it's not a uh, it's not a syslog server. It doesn't it doesn't do anything else except just be a firewall. A bat. That's what a bastion host is. Um, he's kind of reneging on that on that term now where he's like he feels that you know it was a good concept in the past where you just had one one system do one thing and one thing only very well but the landscape of security is becoming so 
it's just becoming so overwhelming that building one dedicated system to do one on, to do only one thing and one thing only could actually be like the Achilles heel for your entire you know security infrastructure and that sucks that you know it really sucks because it's like you know you got to think about it it's just like damn that sucks uh so i have here make way for clusters customized systems but generic and widely supported desktops sounds like slackware to me so this goes back to my whole premise on you know i i feel slackware arch or some some os's that are going to start to become really there some os's are going to start to bounce back for some reason and i, I don't know I, I don't know why i'm just saying that but i just have a feeling that some os's are going to start bouncing back um there's you have you're going to have the easy os's like the easy desktop environments like ubuntu and mint um to spin up and you'll be good to go but you know you got to really start thinking about if you're a sysadmin or if you're like you know if you're knee deep into like infrastructure stuff um you know, it's everything is about clustering, high availability, and just you know, seamless, like like seamless. Uh, what would you say? Like um, seamless service transitions, right? Like, uh, or 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 seamless upgrades, or or whatever. Like you're, like you're not gonna no. Like there aren't gonna be outages the way we see outages today. Like oh, you know, this server's down. You know for. 20 minutes we bring it back up and whatever like i don't think we're gonna have outages and like that in 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 the future but 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 clusters wise like you know like clusters and 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 stuff like that are going to be really really important stuff to to focus on but um customized systems uh i i think we're getting i don't know i think we're getting there i don't know if we're going back to like the whole bashing hose concept but we're getting somewhere where there's customized systems uh, because like just look at um, Arch's Pac-Man stuff, and you know, it, I I don't know, but I mean, Gentoo is still popular. It's still very popular, and you know that that's all I can say. That's all I can say is that a lot of these things are there. There's just I don't know. There's something in the there's something in the pot there, and it's 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 brewing. It's brewing. So um, well that the next thing that leads me into is uh, two OSs that I'm interested in: uh, Bridge Linux and bedrock linux um so if something's brewing in the pot right now then right now is a good time to start either committing to a really young uh an either young branch of a distro or some totally new distro that does something you know different you know because it's going to have a low amount of developers a small amount of developers a small community you know just that's that it's it's a small it's a small i would say um it's a it's a small os or it's a small kind of like a it it takes up a small amount of space in in what in the size of linux and 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 the gnu linux distribution timeline like when you look at the gnu linux distribution timeline you just pick one distro there and you're like yeah this thing is like this thing is like so small in comparison to what exists out there. But if you think about it and you start like saying, you know, yeah, it's it's really small in comparison to like what's out there. But the opportunities for you as like a, if you're interested into working with Linux or if you're already in Linux and you just want to be part of like a community and actually make a name for yourself. The opportunities are like ginormous because it's like 
you know, you can do whatever you want. You know, you can, you, you want to be the site admin, you know, say, hey, I'll be the site admin. You want to be the, the, the forum, you know, monitor, you can be the forum monitor. You, you want to be a kernel developer, you know, you, you want to start, you know, optimizing the kernel for this distro, you can do it. You want to start building packages or you want to be a package maintainer, you can do it. You know, if, if you want to do the, if you want to do technical documentation or the tech doc, or if you want to, um, be like a quality assurance tester, you can do it, you know, especially on a distro that's like just coming up where it's just, there's, you know, there's like three or four, maybe five key developers, you know, committed to it, or maybe just one guy and just helping them out and, and committing to it and, and, and just learning along the way, all these things that you probably never heard about or never knew about. Like, I just think that that's really, I just think that that's really, um, really important now uh because we can all flock to like ubuntu or fedora um or arch or you know any major community supported any major distribution that has a large community base but i think some of these small ones need some you know tender love and care in a sense or or attention because some of these guys are doing some really interesting stuff so bedrock bedrock linux they were in ohio linux fest uh last year and I didn't want, I just read over their, their stuff on their website. They've got an awesome website, by the way. So it's uh, bedrocklinux.org. Um, awesome website. I, uh, I'm not saying there's like anything magnificent in, like, in terms of HTML, CSS. I just like the plain fact that it's, you've got a couple ASCII. You've got Bedrock and ASCII on the top left-hand corner. You've got menu navigation and some external links on just below the, uh, just below the, um, the, ASCII, the ASCII art. And then you just have, um, it just seems like static site content on, you know, just to, to, to scroll through. And it's just, you know, it's just, it's just wonderful. I just like it. Uh, but anyway, um, so these guys are doing something pretty interesting. Uh, what I like is that they're saying, okay, you like, you like Arch, you like Ubuntu, you like Red Hat, you like this, you like that, but you know, your package manager, you know, but when you're in Ubuntu, you know, maybe the the example that they had on their site was for um was for a game. Oh man. So the example that they had on their site was for I can't believe I forgot the damn game's name. But anyway, the example that they have was uh Bedrock's let's see, uh how is this different from preferable to using a virtual machine? So basically what they're saying is that you know what they do in Bedrock is they they use like a Cheroot and Cheroot to contain different um, different versions of an OS. So you can basically have Ubuntu running in one one uh, one path. You can have Firefox in that Ubuntu version running in that path, or you can execute Firefox to run in that Ubuntu version, or have Firefox run. Or run Firefox within like CentOS in another Cheroot directory. So it's it's kind of interesting, and that's why the question here in their FAQs, in one of their FAQs, is like, how is this different from or preferable to using a virtual machine? Because that's what you're doing, right? Like, why don't you just use a virtual machine, and then you, you know you can just do whatever you want with the in a virtual machine. You don't have to deal with um, uh, statically linked libraries. Um, but anyway, so the example that they had was. Um, it's it's just it's just uh it's just a easier transition um and uh 
And they had a really good example here about a game where the libraries were available in Ubuntu, and because the game was built or the the game was a was a debugged or it was debugged or tested on Ubuntu, but the the stuff didn't work in Debian because Debian wasn't using the same libraries that Ubuntu was using. So it was just kind of this scenario where, okay, now you have to spin up, you know, if you're using Debian, now you have to spin up Ubuntu just to play this game. But then their argument is that, well, you can just chroot into your into your Ubuntu uh, directory, um, and now you're in Ubuntu, and then you can do whatever you want in Ubuntu. And if you needed to go back to Debian, you chroot into Debian, and then you can do whatever you want to do in, De- in Debian. So it's just a really good concept and, you know, just, you know, stupid, simple, crazy stuff. So, uh so yeah, so Bedrock Linux, um, check it out if you want. Um, another one was Bridge Linux, um, and I just like them. They're small, and uh, they're small, and, and they're up and coming. Um, I think their site is like MillerTechnologies.com, I think. But uh, but anyway, so moving on, uh, Indiegogo. Uh, I, uh, I I haven't been able to I, I haven't donated anything to any like Kickstarter or Indiegogo um, startups, but there was one that I wish I had the money. I wish I wish I had the time and the money because it was like I didn't know about it until like there were seven hours left. And what I would have wanted to contribute for, I I just didn't afford. I couldn't afford it. But there's this uh, I hate being single season two. It's an Indiegogo project and. It was, they had like seven hours left when I, it was like seven hours left the other day. And I was like, oh crap. I was like, I wish I knew about this thing ahead of time. Oh no, they've just expanded it. So they, I, okay. So it's four days left. Okay. Or, or maybe it was seven days. Anyway, so you've got a couple options here. And if you, you know, I hate being single. It's just, you know, it's just comedy. They're a bunch of Brooklyn uh, hipsters and well, to me, they're hipsters. They don't want to claim themselves as hipsters, but anyway, um, if you, you know, the, the different donating, I, I forget what these are called, but the um, the perks, so uh, the contributions. So you can have like $3,000, you can be at a vi- you can be a video party or producer cred, um, $1,000 to be in the show, $500 to inspire a short episode, $250 a digi date or workshop with Rob, $100 bucks, uh, team single, Fifty bucks Instagram video from on set. Twenty five dollars personalized sad bind. Five dollars access behind the scenes. I think this is really awesome. I think this is really awesome for video. I think this is. I think this is really great. Um, so yeah. So I would definitely would like to be on the show. So that that's a. But uh, it's not. It's not there. The funds aren't there. So hopefully I'll be ready for you know season three or maybe they'll extend this and. You know, maybe I'll uh, I'll be able to contribute. But yeah, so um, what I'm getting at is uh, same thing with the whole Linux in, in with the whole Linux um, stuff I've been talking about is you know there's a lot of there's a lot of mainstream stuff that you can commit to. You can put your time and energy towards, and yeah, of course you're gonna put your time and energy towards that mainstream stuff because it's gonna you know there's a large backing. There's a large you know there's a large amount of people. And there's a high success rate, you know, from, you know, from a risk analysis perspective, right? But at the same time, you know, you're just kind of like joining the herd, right? You're just, you know, you're just going along with everyone else. Now, it may make me sound a little hypocritical because I'm here recording an episode on Hacker Public Radio, but I don't know. I guess uh, to each his own. 
But what I'm saying about the Indiegogo is that if you haven't done so already, please go ahead, find something and contribute. Uh, because, you know, this is just, uh, I, I kind of think about the um, uh, Pure series and how great that was. And once they went into uh, Canadian television, I was so sad because it was like, oh, man, like, you know, they're, they're now, you know, they can't, no more web series. I was like, man, you know, that's, that sucks. You know, was, these guys were, they were really funny and it was really entertaining. Um, and, you know, it's just, you know, I hope they do end up making the movie. And, and uh, so, uh, so yeah, so, so find yourself something to contribute to. Find yourself something small, big, whatever. Just, you know, commit to it, work with it and, and work towards your next goal. Expand, expand your, your, your knowledge, expand you know, you know, apply yourself, uh, you know, dive into things you haven't really done before and, you know, learn new things because, uh, you know, that's, that's gonna, you know, that's definitely gonna be, um, that's definitely gonna be uh, very helpful, uh, for anybody in the future. So, um, so yeah, so those are pretty much everything that I have. Uh, a couple things, uh, that I noticed on, uh, YouTube uh, NCIX.com, so I guess this is a Canadian distributor, like, they're kind of like Tiger Direct, but they have a really good YouTube series of, of just all types of, uh, hardware stuff, uh, so dive into it, it, it's, it's sim, like, Tiger Direct used to have kind of like the, hey, check this out, this thing is, like, so cool and expensive and buy it, these guys are a little different, they're like, hey, you know, how do you build, like, a, you know, this, is the difference between 40, you know, like a uh, Bitcoin mining, you know, they'll explain it. They'll talk about it. You know, they'll show you hardware. They'll show you their rig. They'll show you, you know, a couple uh, of of the stuff that you could buy from their site. But at the same time, it, it just seems like it's more informational than anything. Um, they did have one. It was like, it was like the um, the frames per second, and it was like 120 for, 120 frames per second versus 40 frames per second. Like, can people tell the difference? And it was pretty good. It was a pretty good little test they did. But anyway, um, another one I have is uh, DuckDuckGo uh, Duck slash goodies. If you haven't checked this out, it's I, I highly recommend DuckDuckGo slash goodies. They have a whole bunch of cool stuff here. Uh, under cryptography, you can say generate uh, password 15. They have like these modules or, or something. I guess they're modules. Um, and one is called like password 15 strong. So it gives you like a randomly... A, a randomly strong 15 multi, uh, a random password, 15 characters, you know, uh, uppercase, lowercase, uh, special characters, numbers, everything. So, you know, it's pretty cool. They've got a couple other stuff like a, U, a UUID generator, uh, <clears throat> a hash, a hash computer. Um, so basically if you wanted to create like a cryptographic hash of, you know, it's just really cool stuff. It's really cool stuff. The one that I like is uh, the LeakDB module, which is like a, you can create like a um, you can create like a hash based off of a plain text value. Um, so I thought that was I think it's actually the reverse, but I think it's the reverse. I think it's the reverse. But anyway, um, they have like a binary to ASCII converter. Um, they have uh, anagrams. They have uh, under sysadmin tools. They have the Unix time converter. I, I know from Epochs, I've, I've come across this a lot, especially if you don't have Perl available on your system where you can use the actual Perl-E 
oh gosh, I, I forgot the uh, command, but the it's a there's a converter in Perl that you can use to convert from epoch to you know to you know a uh, um, what is it Julian or uh, they had they say text here, but I forget the, the 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 calendar system. But yeah, so they have that there. Um, they also have like a data rate conversions for system admin stuff. They show you the private network blocks. Um, a lot of cool stuff there. Uh, under travel, um, they, they've got like uh, USD to Euro conversions. Um, they got time time conversions. They got Fahrenheit to Celsius conversion stuff. Um, they have some web design goodies. So ASCII table color codes. I know that's that's a big one. Uh, once you know, if you are doing web programming, I know you guys are like, what the hell is the damn color code for, you know, you know, I don't know, ultraviolet blue or something. I don't know. Or ultraviolet. I don't know. So, uh, HTML characters, um, lorem ipsum. So if you need to generate some, you know, some blah, some blah, blah, blah stuff, you know, there's your lorem ipsum stuff. Uh, there's a lot, I mean, there's a lot, a lot of cool goodies here. I mean, you can just, you can just use this stuff for days and days. Um, yeah, uh, this food and drink one is pretty cool. I think I'm gonna have to tell my, uh, I'm gonna have to tell some people about this one. This is a you know teaspoon to tablespoon conversion. Uh, how to mix a Tom Collins, you know, bartending information. This is really good stuff. So anyway, check it out. That's uh, DuckDuckGo.com/goodies. Um, another another uh, another thing that I came across. Uh, let's see, let's see, let's see. Um, so recently on Packet Pushers packet pushers podcast um it's a it's a it's a net the, the packet pushers network or packet pushers podcast uh anyway so there was there, i was listening to a um to an episode uh based on on the packet pusher on the packet pusher network and um and the podcast was about software defined networking or automation and or it's like the, uh programming uh, in networking. So, uh, so basically what I've noticed is that you can do a lot of, you can conduct a lot of automation, um, using software defined networking, but in the traditional networking infrastructure where you have like a, a CLI, you know, you really need tools or you really need like a vendor, a vendor, um, proprietary, uh, command line, not a command line integration, but like a, like a configuration management system, you know? So like for HP, you know, HP has like HP, Oh, man, they, they've got uh, they've got two versions. It's like IMI, I think. It's they've got two versions of their configuration management suite, and that's the that's the help um, so that's the help administer like HP Pro Curve switching hardware. Um, so the problem is that sometimes those tools don't work as well as you want them to work. So then you've got to you know you've got to go back. And use you know you know you gotta like SSH into the into the switch, undo config, or redo a config, or reload a config, or reboot the switch, or manually have to you know go out there and, and do all this crazy stuff on on a switch. But there the the the, the episode that they were talking the episode that I was listening to was talking about um, using programming to help automate uh, a lot of you know a lot of these uh, nuances, a, a lot of these deployment. Um, or a lot of these procedural things that, that, that can be automated. So Python is a very, very good tool for, um, for automation for your network. Um, there's a lot of good modules involved there. But in show 176 
uh, it was called Intro to Python and Automation for Network Engineers. It's the PacketPushers.net, and it's the weekly show that they have, and it's show 176, Intro to Python and Automation for Network Engineers. They talk about, it's, they're very network, the guys that are on that episode are very network-centric, but if you can follow it and listen to what they've got to say, you'll kind of understand that, all right, you know, programming is, programming is definitely important in, programming is definitely going to be important if you're a network engineer, a sysadmin, whatever, you know, or DevOps, uh, a DevOps engineer, anything that involves the infrastructure or just you know, just networking and systems alone. So one of the things that they, that they mentioned in that episode was Ansible. So if any of you have ever used like a configuration management or configuration deployment tool, such as like Puppet or um, uh, Puppet Chef, you know, uh, or Ansible or, um, damn, there's another one. Uh, I, I can't think of the other one. But anyway, uh, if you've used these, t- these type of tools before, you know, you're already like 50%, you know, on your way to like the next, you know, stratosphere. I don't know. Uh, but, or maybe you're already there. I don't know. But the thing is that what I'm trying to say is that I've, I've looked into puppy. I've looked into chef. I, you know, those are really good tools. They're really awesome because the way those, those, the way those tools work is that, uh, you go into an environment, like I start an environment. They tell me I need to automate, you know, the, 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 I need to automate the, um, the provisioning of, you know, a thousand switches in like, you know, whatever time frame. And or I need to pull the reporting from, you know, a thousand switches and, you know, off of, you know, off of uplink interfaces or something like that. You know, they want reporting. They want they want report metrics on, you know, some information. The, the key is that, you know, these environments, what they do is that they can build these puppet modules or these they, they can build these modules to help in, in puppet or chef or whatever or these or these. Um, I think in chef they're called uh, cook recipes and then in puppet. I forget what they're called in Ansible. They're called playbooks. But anyway, there's, it's basically, it's kind of like this, you know, the, the, you can think of them as scripts, um, but just more, they're, they're more like modules. And what you can do is just, you know, build a module or, or whatever that, that can go to every single switch in your environment. It, it connects to the APIs, to these networking, to these supported networking uh, devices um, pull the information they need from there, whether it's off of SNMP or whether it's off the API of the, of the device or whether it's like manual, like SSH, you know, like manual labor SSH, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, SSH, what is that? Uh, like, I forget, is that SSH TTY? But anyway, um, whether they're, um, however you're pulling that information, you know, you can build those modules and then you can put it back into, you know, the Puppet, uh, or whatever community, the configuration management, configuration deployment community that you're using, and then someone else can use that same module, modify it for their environment, and then you know, boom, they're you know they're they're able to you know aggregate the downlink. They're they're, they're able to aggregate you know like the northbound, southbound, you know metrics of, of their infrastructure instantaneously. You know because you contributed back into you know the community of whatever configuration community you're. you're you're using so if if you're lost at this point uh, on the things that i'm saying i apologize but i highly recommend packetpushers.net show 176 intro to python and automation for network engineers if you don't want to listen to that one hour and 10 minute episode not a problem go to ansible 
ansibleworks.org, I believe, or Ansible Works or something like that. And just check them out. You know, it's a, it's, their playbooks are built on YAML, um, which is a markup language. Very easy to read, very easy to write. Um, and you will be surprised at how simple it is to automate um, your in, you to, to automate anything in your infrastructure using like a configuration management system. Um, so I highly recommend you you uh, you guys look into that. Um, but at the same time, don't let go of those ten. Don't let go of those really important skills such as you know script writing um, and and just you know like basic salt like basic computer science concepts too you know a lot of the times you hear people say oh you know just got to learn some code 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 I, I would say like there are some fundamental computer science concepts that you're going to need to know in order to make to be a little more successful in, in your uh, in your script in your script development or your configuration development or whatever but anyway so i hope that was enough information i hope that was uh, uh enjoy- an enjoyable hour but uh anyway i hope everyone has a good um, a good week and or a good month or a good year and just uh, keep keep at it keep working towards whatever you're working towards remember to uh, to subscribe to the hacker public radio um, RSS feed if you if you want to um, if you want to email me um, my contact information is beto at haven'tfoundme.com you can get you can uh, connect with me on Twitter at Haven't Found Me or Identica at Haven't Found Me. And um, thank you for listening. Um, have a great day. And, uh, take care. You have been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by a HBR listener like yourself. If you ever considered recording a podcast, then visit our website to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club. HBR is funded by the Binary Revolution at binrev.com. All Binrev projects are proudly sponsored by Lunar Pages. From shared hosting to custom private clouds, go to lunarpages.com for all your hosting needs. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Share Alike, 3.0 license.